When my dog died the week before Christmas last year, friends sent me kind notes expressing sympathy. I was surprised that so many of them harbored a secret, or maybe not so secret, conviction that deceased pets go to heaven. One friend, who's a pastor, told me that the group of pastors he meets with even studied the matter before coming to that conclusion. Another told me about a popular television evangelist who believes his dead kitties are playing in glory land. It made me wonder what the theologians have to say about the matter. I already knew that C.S. Lewis speculated that dogs go to heaven. In his book, The Problem of Pain, Lewis writes that in heaven, the man will know his dog, the dog will know its master, and in knowing them will be itself. Lewis later admitted that he was being speculative, but he didn't appear to retract this view. Many older theologians seem to think differently. John Calvin seems typical of them. He implies that since the sense of perception in animals doesn't extend farther than the material world, their existence must be limited to the material world. Humans are different, according to Calvin. They think about things they cannot see. Calvin concludes that this clearly shows that there lies hidden in man something separate from the body. Calvin certainly seems right in one respect. My dog thought differently than I do. Oh, sure, she could feel pain. And if the furious wagging of her tail was any evidence, the canine equivalent of happiness as well. She was conscious, but she wasn't self-conscious in the same way that I am. I'm pretty sure she never wondered whether her life as a dog had a purpose. She never seemed to worry about the future. She did have a sense of time, or at least she seemed to know when I was due home from work. But if she thought at all about the future, it was never very far into the future. She looked forward to the cookie I tossed her when she came in from outside, but that was about it. She never woke up in the morning wondering what she was going to do that evening, and she didn't worry about death. Right up to her last breath, she never gave it a thought. When we took her to the vet to have her put down, she had no clue what was coming. I don't know if that made it easier or harder for us. When my dog died, I found that my theological sophistication evaporated, along with my detachment. I was shaken. I started asking questions about death, eternity, and God's goodness. They were basically the same questions that any child asks when a pet dies. What happens now? Do dogs go to heaven? The thing that bothered me most was the thought that I could love something so much and then suddenly find that it no longer exists and that it would never exist again. After listening to my friends, I find that I'm not alone in this. Given that this is a question that every parent has asked, it surprises me that more systematic theology texts don't address it. At least, most of the texts on my shelf don't seem to speak to the question. Not the question of the heart, anyway. Some of them do discuss the distinction between humans and animals. It's a distinction that the Bible seems to make from the very beginning. According to Genesis 2, after God created Adam, he brought all the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. On the surface, it seems like the sort of thing a parent might do with a small child. As if God brought Adam a picture book and asked him to say the names of the animals after him. Can you say cow, Adam? Horse? Dog? 
But if you look more carefully at the story, it's more like a scientific exploration. It's the sort of thing we used to call natural philosophy. And at the end of the exercise, Adam realized that there was something different about him when compared to the animals. Of course, the fundamental difference, according to Genesis, is that humans have been created in God's image. But what exactly does that mean? Theologians used to say that the difference between humans and animals was that humans possessed a soul and animals didn't. Many describe the difference in terms of things that humans can do, but animals don't seem to be able to. Humans speak. They are capable of reason. They create culture. Of course, these days, people like to downplay the difference. If anything, it's common to view the animals as a step above humans. Mark Twain once famously observed, Heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. But none of this really addresses the fundamental theological question I find myself asking. Might not there be room in heaven or in the new heavens and earth for creatures who are lesser than humans? Why couldn't there be a place for my dog? In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul says that creation was subjected to the bondage of corruption caused by Adam's sin and is waiting for redemption just as we are. Paul seems to describe creation as leaning into redemption, eagerly waiting for it. This, of course, raises a whole host of other questions that I can't answer. Given the fact that animals outnumber humans, how could there be enough room in heaven for them all? And what about the animals we don't want in heaven? In view of the Genesis account, I suspect that snakes would be pretty low on the guest list. And really, would heaven be heaven if it was full of cockroaches? C.S. Lewis speculated that it was only the higher order animals that made the cut. Animals like dogs and horses. I'm not sure about whether he felt cats should be allowed in or not. But if the Chronicles of Narnia are any indication, I'm pretty certain he felt that there's at least room for lions, centaurs, sword-wheeling mice, and beavers in heaven. In the end, I suppose the question of numbers is not an insurmountable problem. We really have no idea of the scope of heaven, or the new creation for that matter. If we're talking about a reality that includes multiple dimensions, as some theologians speculate, the amount of space could be infinite. Perhaps every creature has their own space. But what would heaven even be like for dogs? When I look back on my dog's short life, I realize that it consisted mostly of sleeping, eating, and sitting on my lap. She didn't read books or think deep thoughts. She didn't watch television. She didn't have a job or contribute to the greater good of society. In fact, she didn't have a regard for society at all, only for the occasional squirrel who sometimes strayed into our yard. In light of that, I'm not sure how she would respond to the lions, centaurs, or beavers of Gloryland. Thinking back on the whole experience, the greatest comfort I received came from my favorite theologian. It came from something my wife Jane said to me. As we wept together over our loss, she quoted Job 12.10, In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. It was a reminder to me that the same eye that sees the sparrow fall also sees the falling tear. I don't think God will answer my question about whether dogs go to heaven, at least not in this life. But his word does assure me that my little pup's life was in his hand, just as mine is.